Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 29 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today I'm joined by Corey Email, Director of Blockchain at Gigster, and we're going to discuss how brands can responsibly bring new users to Web3. So welcome, Corey. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm very excited to be back. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so for some of the people listening, they may remember you from the previous episode you were on. But for anyone who has not listened to that, could you kind of give a quick overview of what you're doing in crypto and Web3? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I, I lead all things Web3 at Gixter. So we are the leading uh, service integrator for uh, for blockchain. We've been around for about nine years now, kind of always building emerging tech and have been in the Web3 space since 2019. And we help uh, a lot of large brands, IP holders and enterprises plan and build multi-year Web3 strategies and then also uh, help them really define like how to enter into the space. Um, and then you know, on the back end of that help uh, do fully manage engineering. So we see these Web3 projects from really, you know, initial inception all the way out uh, to to production, uh, which gives us a pretty interesting lens on on the space where it's headed and, you know, what what businesses are finding interesting about it uh, and the different Mm -hmm. kind of like strategies some of them are, you know, are thinking about. So that's that's where we live. Uh, and, you know, I also manage all of our academic partnerships with like Stanford and Berkeley around distributed teams and remote work, uh, which, you know, plays really interesting into the decentralization of Web3. Definitely. Cool. Um, yeah. Anything interesting been happening for you or Gigster since we talked last? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been, I mean, obviously like the market's been crazy. Right. Uh, and you know, Mm -hmm. what's, what's really interesting is that like the, the level of interest from, from brands and enterprises is still really high, uh, and, and kind of increased, which is, uh, incredible to see, uh, you know, the resilience, uh, in the space and, and, and people looking to get there, uh, you know, on a more, um, a kind of like a personal note, and maybe this might lead into me getting invited back for time three <laughs> is, uh, you know, really a huge area of like recent interest uh, for me and in, in, in some of the spaces, you know, I mentioned how we do a lot of research in decentralized teams, but really around um, uh, like DAOs, right? And, you know, we've been doing a lot of like pushing uh, work and research into uh, governance models and like building out how how DAOs can not only affect companies because a lot of companies are interested in that, uh, but also how it's kind of like reshaping and, put, and can potentially reshape like the workforce uh, of the future. So that's a little bit of the the new stuff going on behind the scenes. No, that's awesome. Good. Yeah. Um, then let's kind of dive right in. So uh, we're talking about bringing new users into Web3, uh, specifically responsibly. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe the first and the biggest question to ask here, what can we do to make people more comfortable in the Web3 space? Yeah, that's, that is, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, I, I, I literally just got off a call uh, with one of the the largest, you know, um, CPG manufacturers out there. And this is, this is kind of a question that they had, you know, it's, it's how do we, 
like, and I think the way that they phrased the question was, uh, you know, how, like, how do you tell, like, how, how do you, how do you instantiate like value, uh, into like digital assets? Right. Um, and my, 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 my thought is that, you know, the, the, the era of like just pure collectibles, uh, collectible, like NFTs, uh, stuff like that within the space is slowly dying, um, which is great. Right. You know, with any, you know, the, the, the blockchain industry, it's itself and specifically NFTs, you know, we went from, from basically zero to, you know, like, uh, I don't have the exact stat, but like $40 billion asset class within a few years, which is insane. And with that, there's always going to be a a, a level of, um, you know, kind of like, uh, not like maybe correction is the word uh, in the market, but, you know, cathartic, maybe like a very cathartic experience that comes after some level of high, like we've been experiencing. And that's really what Mm -hmm. we're seeing in the market right now. And, you know, when we talk about how do you make people more comfortable, uh, really what you're asking is that, like, how do you explain intrinsic value of digital assets to them so that they see the level of value in there and then they are thus willing to participate uh, and engage? And, you know, the the very, uh, very obvious answer right through all of that is to, to offer <laughs> some value beyond the asset. It's like offer some value with it. Uh, and, you know, for, for enterprises, especially large established brands or IPs, uh, you know, you have, you have, a, you have a, you have a platform to be able to offer that. Right. So when we think about how do we make people more comfortable in the web three space, it's basically by offering them real value and products, right? A lot of that now has been, you know, very, um, airy, right? And that, you know, a lot of these collections and things that we've seen in the news and in the markets really drive their value through a lot of, uh, you know, uh, scarcity, uh, you know, the communities that get built around it. But when you're taking a step back and looking at how do we drive mass market adoption, which is where what, what we're here for, uh, you ha- that, that, that doesn't really land. Um, and what you have to really think about, and this comes into how do you make people more comfortable is that you have to offer them some form of value beyond just the asset itself that that allows them to build trust uh, and build trust within the space. Uh, and then as that continues to go, uh, it's really going to start to that kind of flywheel effect on the on the space and on the, the technology um, as a whole, because as of right now, like we still very much are in like early adopter phase. You know, I think the last time I checked, there was like something like again, rough numbers, but like 50 million or, or, or I've seen every, seen anywhere from, 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 from 48 to like 62 or 65 million active, uh, crypto wallets, which out of the 7 billion people on the planet, like 5 billion people on the web, like it's still, like we are still driving a huge amount of change with a very mm-hmm. small set of people. Uh, so as mm-hmm. we continue to grow, making people more comfortable in the web through space is extremely, extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess follow up to that. What kind of value are we talking about here? Yeah, this is one, too, that's been really top of mind for me lately is 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 how do we how do you create value? Right. And cognitively, that comes through as like goods or services for humans. Right. Like it's specifically Mm -hmm. physical goods and physical services. Uh, So when we look at and when I talk to large brands that are already have, you know, that some of these brands have been around for a hundred plus years, right? And they produced physical, they produce physical goods, that is their manufacturers. So when we talk about value, it's kind of like ranges across the spectrum, but 
um, you know, the, the one that recently for me has becoming very, very interesting, uh, especially just because again, like we're in the, in the space of talking to and driving, uh, again, uh, the, I want everyone to take the frame of reference that like when I approach web three or talk about this stuff, you have like very like web three maximalist, which is like everything is decentralized and everything, you know, is needs to be mm-hmm. digital, uh, and just, you know, tokenizing physical stuff is like cheating, but to, I just want everyone to, to the frame of reference is that we're here to drive like a billion people to adopt the tech. Uh, so in order to do that, right, like we are looking at strategies and directions and ideas that is going to onboard a, the next billion users. Uh, and one mm-hmm. of the one of the ones that's really been interesting lately is around this idea of how do you pair and offer incremental value or additional value on top of the existing physical products that you sell. Uh, to your to your customer base, and doing that through digital assets is a great way to 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 to, to offer um, increased or a- added value. And what that also does is allows you to educate users onto an emerging technology through an avenue or through a channel that they already understand, uh, and that makes it very advantageous and very interesting for a lot of these companies to start really kind of like looking at how they put their initial foot forward, and it makes it a lot less difficult or kind of what's the word makes it a little more like less like you don't have to get too cute with it you can kind of just really say like you know <laughs> like you know you can just say like look you you already you already interact with a brand and buyer goods but like let us show you how we can mm-hmm. add more value for you into the digital space uh, and that's that's what we're seeing and that's you know uh, there's a lot of i think Every example that falls underneath that is very brand specific. Uh, but from like mm-hmm. an abstract point of view, like if you're listening to this and wondering, like, how can I build this for my business? This is one of the great ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, don't be afraid if you have a specific use case in mind that you want to point to. Yeah. And the one that's been kind of, I, I think the ones that are out there, right, the most. Um, and I, I was reading about one of these a little bit earlier around. Uh, you know, like for sports teams, being able to do ticketing uh, via, you mm-hmm. know, NFTs, and then you have that as like almost as collectible. And then if you collect X amount of these NFTs for going to these different games, you can, you know, unlock discounts or free merchandise, um, or maybe free tickets to the next one, uh, you know, by holding and purchasing these NFTs as tickets, uh, you can get uh, presence and um, access to like online communities where, you know, you're basically interacting with other people that that love this brand. And I, I think sports teams is a great analogy uh for when you talk about like horizontal collision between customers um is that you know when you think about use cases traditionally like in consumer economies now brands create products and they sell them in a one one way directional relationship to the purchaser right like they produce we consume back and forth uh there's very little like horizontal collision that goes on between brands uh, or customers of a brand uh but if you think about that from a sports analogy perspective if you wear a you know i live in charlotte so if you wear a hornet's jersey out what you're you know you're you're basically able to and you see someone that has a hornet's jersey on and you have one on you automatically have some form of a connection to that brand uh and that makes interacting and that makes that ultimately reinforces your target your, your customer base because you're building bonds between them which makes it stronger uh to the brand image overall 
And, it, you know, a lot of a lot of existing companies and products and brands out there, it's re- they don't really do that in any way, shape or form. Um, and what we're seeing is that brands using NFTs and specifically NFTs around their capabilities of secondary markets uh, to start to create that level of connection between their customers. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the sports tickets is the one, but there's a lot of them out there, mm-hmm. right? Sure, of course. Good. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what are some things that every brand should think about, consider deeply before entering mm. Web3. Mm. The tough ones. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Got to start hard. Got to start hard, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so there's, there's a lot of things, right? But if we, uh, if we, if we take a step back, you know, really the big, the big four, I don't know, it's, I would say it's a core four reasons, but I'll throw in a fifth because it's, it's definitely there. But, you know, the fifth nascent reason that we see brands moving into web three is FOMO, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other four that I say are more concrete, you know, the first one is a, is about, is about connecting to, to new, um, to new customer base, right? And that's usually like earlier or younger demographics. Uh, so every brand's customers are constantly getting older and phasing out. So how do you target uh, a larger audience? So that's one way or what one reason. The second reason is around um, being able to offer new experiences. So this is around, you know, the example of connecting physical and digital and layering value on top of what you already offer as reason number two. Reason number three is a new revenue stream, right? So again, these are assets. Uh, so companies looking for ways to expand their product offerings, look at a uh, look at NFTs, specifically NFTs and, and Web3 is a large for new revenue streams. And fourth of the core four is uh, is around the, the idea of like brand control and risk contain, containment. And that's that's always one that people don't think about a lot. It's that Web3 is the Wild West, right? Like it's new, it is moving fast. Uh, and there's nothing really to stop me from going and creating, you know, a Nike drop and throwing it out there on OpenSea and seeing what happens. Uh, and that means that a lot of customers might get fooled. They might get scammed. That looks bad for the Nike brand, just like knockoffs in the real world are for like designer handbags and shoes and stuff like that. But the way that we're seeing brands and why a lot of them are interested in getting into web three early is that you can really put your stake in the ground and define what authenticity is for digital products related to your brand are. Uh, so in the Nike example, if, you know, if, if, if Nike doesn't move into web three at all right now, and someone starts creating knockoff products, there's little that you can do. Right. Um, and the way that people are, and brands are combating this is that they're making their presence known early and putting that flag in the ground and letting all of the, everyone know that like, Hey, this is authentic Nike digital assets. And if they come from anywhere other than here, they're fake. So don't buy them. Uh, and so when we, when we, when brands are thinking about getting into web three, you know, understanding the reasoning on why now is incredibly important. Right. And those four reasons, and really the brand control and risk containment is a huge one uh, that every brand is thinking about why we should, why we need to get in now. Um, and then obviously being able to offer new experiences to retain existing customers is a huge number two. Uh, being able to engage with younger audiences is a huge number three. And then number four in that is around the new revenue streams. 
Uh, and when I list new revenue streams as number four, like that's intentional. And the reason why is that what we tell brands to consider before going into Web3 is that don't look at this just from a pure dollars perspective, uh, because if so, like, you know, obviously, you know, it, if it makes dollars, it makes sense. Uh, but you really need to think about larger, larger value on the back end for your customers. And you need to a- address it from a value position first. So you need to think about how do we increase value and how do we offer more to customers? Um, because if you don't do that and you just think that you're going to put something out there to make some quick money, you're going to have a very tough time in the media and from from your customers is looking at this as some form of like a you know a reg pool or a scam. Uh, so really, we really, really tell everyone to consider, and this is like a very like tactical thing that you can take away is that like we tell everyone, it's like, look, brand comes says, Corey, I want to do an NFT drop. Awesome. Fantastic. We're getting in the web three. Usually what I ask them next is like, so what is one incremental value thing to this, to this NFT that we can add every month for a year? And if we can't come up with 12 value adds or 12 activities to do to engage the community and drive the value up of it, then I tell them we probably shouldn't be doing this. Like we need to think about this a little bit harder. Uh, because that that is the difference in offering digital producing becoming a manufacturer of digital assets versus physical ones like there is no planned obsolescence They're, they don't degrade they don't go away uh, so when you move into the space you really have to think about how do we incrementally add value on top of it and that is like marquee put it in bold font at the top like think value number one mm-hmm. and then from there the chips kind of fall okay I'm going to redirect us a little bit because last time you came on, we definitely talked about value Mm -hmm. a lot and Mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we're talking about brands bringing responsibly new users into Web3, then we need to focus maybe more on the what you listed as number two and number three of new experiences and new revenue Mm -hmm. um, because those are when they've already got those customers, right? And they're moving them into the space. So how does that process maybe differ yeah so right the big thing and like the biggest challenge that we see brands facing right now when trying to bring new users into web3 uh is that there's two big hurdles that they have to overcome uh the first is is that you've got to convince people that this non-physical asset has value and on paper, and a lot of time, if you tell that to someone, they're like, oh, that's like that's really difficult to do or that doesn't make sense. Yet every single day, like we have goods around that have higher value than what they're, you know, worth from an operational, you know, standpoint. Uh, so companies, have, yeah, they have they have the two big problems. One is how do you educate properly to your customers that that this thing does have have value, which I think we probably hit on last time and a little bit already here. And the second one is really around the tech side, right? Like when you're asking your customers to go buy an NFT, you're making a very large ask because the tech around it is young, right? So it's not it's not as easy as, you know, and it's getting there. It's, I don't want to say it's not, but it's not as easy as like going in the one-click purchase button on Amazon. Uh, you know, I'd say up until a couple months ago, um, it was, you know, you had to go 
you know, go go to one of these, uh, you know, go to an exchange or something and buy crypto, and then you transfer that to your wallet, and then you go to your NFT site and you connect your wallet, and then you sign and verify that that place can make you know changes to your wallet, and then you go to hit purchase and you transfer your crypto and you wait for the you know wait for the block to confirm, and then you're paying gas costs, and then you finally get it in your wallet, and you're like, sweet. <laughs> what just happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. you know, when you're trying to be responsible about bringing your customers into Web three, like you really got to put yourself in them in their shoes. Uh, and a lot of the experiences and and stuff out there now is catered to like crypto native install base, which is wrong. Like that, if you are if you're looking at, and this is like rare, very very normal thinking, but you were saying like we needed to define a new a new product, like a lot of times you go and say, well, what is the, what does the market look like now? Right. And, um, how do we design to cater to that market? And that works if the market is big. Um, but you know, again, as I said before, we'll average it out and say there's 50 million users. We're trying to drive a billion on top of it. You've got to step away from what the status quo is now and really think about how do I create the most seamless, easy experience for my customers, uh, so that when I bring them into this world, I'm not one having to cross that hurdle of explaining to them what digital assets are and letting them make that cognitive, um, you know, call option that yes, this does have more value or will produce more value than what I'm paying for it. Uh, but I'm not just slapping them in the face and being like, oh yeah, now I need you to go run a marathon to you know <laughs> to, to to participate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's 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 the big two, right? And you know, even more like fine grain on that on that user um, adoption side is that for a long time, you know, like I said, going to purchase an NFT was really difficult. Um, some of the providers out there are making it a lot lot easier now, where you can check out with a credit card, you know, which again is creating that bit of that like one touch experience. Uh, but even that is really young, you know, the, you know, the, the, the really kind of like interesting insight that I never really understood why you couldn't uh, purchase NFTs with a credit card. It's basically because of the credit card processor, right? Uh, when they get processed as digital goods and the fact that NFTs, if you buy them in non-custodial platforms, they're irreversible. So the transaction's irreversible. Uh, so a lot of the credit card companies would, you know, they would not process the transaction because if there's any fraud or claim on it, there's no way for them to recoup their expenses. But, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we recently started working really closely with Wire uh, and they offer basically checkouts as a credit card. And it's pretty interesting how they do it. They basically create a pool of, you know, this liquidity pool. So in case any of these transactions are claimed as fraud, they are able to pay back the credit card companies, which is allows these payments to go through. Um, whereas before they were basically blocking them. So that's, you know, again, like okay. innovations are being made in the space to make bringing in people a lot easier. Good, good. Um, we talk a lot, I think, in the space about um, two of the big hurdles being UX and education. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so first part, you agree, definitely. I, um, I, I agree. I would say that I strongly agree with both. Yes. Strongly agree yeah. with both. Okay, cool. Glad we <laughs> ironed that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so with that, is there a different UX or different educational experience that we need to be working on for each brand, each industry? Or is it something that we can kind of just make it look like Web 2 and go forth from there? That That is a fascinating question 
uh, and not to get, I don't know, like, okay, so I'm actually having this argument in my head real time as we're thinking, as we're talking about it. Right okay, now, right, right. spit it out loud. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, 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 I see it as like two different ways, right? Is that one, is that one, the whole, like, the whole reason, right? Like, if you really want to get out there and be like, yo, bro, the whole reason why we're here, uh, <laughs> kind of, kind of thought is that like decentralization, individual ownership, as where the future is headed, right? And our question is, and this comes down to to what you said of like, can we just make it look like Web 2? I think the simple answer is that yes, we can, but in doing so, are we are we negatively impacting it? Because mm-hmm. if it just feels like Web 2, then like why have Web what's 3? The point? Yeah, like what's the point, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? So I... I Again, this is the, I literally have this argument going on in my head right now is that I, I, I think that on one hand, we have to make it somewhat we, we have to make it look like Web 2 so that you can get adoption. Uh, but you have to educate and keep it different enough that people understand the difference. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's such a, you know, a, such a weird spot to be in. Um because you're like somewhat going against like the whole the whole reason, man. We're in Web three is so you can own your digital identity. Uh, when you obviously, <laughs> as, a, as like my my quasi Matthew McConaughey impression, mm-hmm. uh, is that so? Like when you when you do make it easier, and I think one of the great arguments is around custodial wallets, right? Like so, wallet MetaMask is really hard for the lame person, layman, right? Mm-hmm. And if you Lose mm-hmm. your password. Good luck. You're screwed. So offer a custodial wallet. I mean, people are like, no, no, no. As soon as you do that, it's not like it's not Web3 anymore. And you're like, OK, maybe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, yeah. but if that means that it onboards another billion people into the market because now they feel comfortable and it's easy. Is that a win? Like, is it a, you're making you're conceding points to get? adoption and i i i I don't know it's that's a very it's a very polarizing possibly topic and i i know where i stand on it but i don't want to speak for everyone okay (laughs) do you not feel comfortable speaking on your own stance no i will definitely stay on mine so i and i i will die on this hill too is that like i am here oh well then yeah i'm here for mass adoption right and, you know, with okay. a lot of the like, so I, and I posted this the other day, like when when the board ape thing, uh, when the board ape uh, social media got hacked, right, and then they like transferred out some apes or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that is and they were like, they're, they're the antithesis of what Web3 is. And yet they're over here getting hoodwinked by a very simple, like, almost like social hack. Um, mm-hmm. Is that for me was like, I mean, that that reinforced my position of that, like, custodial wallets and being able to sacrificing a bit of the philosophy to drive mass market adoption is in my mind, totally fine. Uh, and again, there's people on the other side of the fence that will say, if you sacrifice the values, what does it even mean anymore? And it's, I, I, I understand that I'm empathetic to it, but I stand by my, my, my stance that um, getting mass market adoption is going to have long-term upside over, you know, um, forcing people to do really difficult tasks that they don't want to do yep okay, <laughs> it's, just, okay it's, a, it's a hot take for for 9 a.m on me 
<laughs> no, no, good. Like I said, glad to have your opinion at least. Um, so maybe with that, can we talk a little bit about how people who don't have as much experience in the space can kind of be more sure about their moves and, you know, make sure that projects aren't trying to, mm-hmm. to scam them or, or yeah. Yeah. Like I, anyone that's in the space right now and participating, I have the utmost respect for, uh, because a lot of it is and really understanding if a project is legit, like take some research, right? I could, it's not, it's not as easy as just the typical economy purchasing that we're in now, uh, where people and companies can be legally liable and have like, you know, op, like opportunities for recourse if they do scam you. Uh, and that's what makes this space so incredible is that the ones that are here are showing a lot of faith in it. And so if you're looking to move into the space uh, and looking to to invest and be part of the community you know, you definitely have to do it responsibly. If anyone sees like the DYOR and like do your own research, that is a huge part of it. Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of like the NFTs uh, are driven by, and a lot of the value of having them is access to the community that they bring along. Um, and if you're looking to, to purchase or, or move into a collection or become part of one of these communities, uh, really like joining their different spaces where their community interacts, that could be Twitter or Clubhouse or Discord or whatever that is. And like, because they're all like most of them, you can get into some level to see the activity that's going there. Uh, is that, yeah, I always tell everyone, like, join it, join it first, see what's going on. If it vibes with what you're looking for and it makes sense, then go for it. Uh, you know, a lot of these projects, too, will put out a roadmap so you can see where they're headed. Uh, and that is super, super helpful to take a look at and make sure that they've thought through. And like, if you look at the, if you look at the roadmap and you're like, this makes zero sense to me or if it's like we're going to offer t-shirts or just not something of substantial <laughs> value i would question mm-hmm. just jumping into it like but if there's upside somewhere else that you see there um you know that uh, the, then i encourage it all day uh and the last one too that that i think is really interesting is um is like if you if you don't understand what <laughs> they're pitching probably shouldn't buy it right and that holds true in the physical world. That holds true in the digital as well. If you see some project and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Either one, try to learn more. Or two, if you try to learn more and you don't understand it, then odds are you're not the dummy. So just be, you know, <laughs> just be back away. Yeah, yeah, just back away. Right. And like, I think that like one of the the interesting ones around that too, and this one is always, I think, a bit very, very relevant for now is around like the Luna and Terra stuff, right? So these great coins that, you know, algo stable platforms, but, you know, the interesting part that always kind of caught me and I was very intrigued around is that, um, you know, the Luna was backed by the Anchor Protocol, which offered 20% returns a year off of a stable coin. You're like, hold on, like 20% returns. Where does this money come from? Uh, and that, you know, again, that's one too, where it takes a level of critical thinking, but if you're looking at something and it doesn't make sense, just be hesitant before you go invest a lot of money into it. Very good tip. So I guess from the other side, then, uh, what, what are the things that projects or brands can do to kind of show or prove that they are trustworthy and legit? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I I think it falls on two sides. Uh, one, if you it's a little bit easier if you're already an existing brand that's out there, right? And you have that to lean on. Uh, is authenticity through I don't know, history, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, sounds like a new protocol. Authenticity through, you know. Um <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, so if you're existing brand, being able to lean on your, your, you know, your image and your brand awareness, uh, in the world is a great way to do it. If you're a new company, um, and you don't have that yet. Uh, and this, this again falls for both of them, but, but specifically more if, if you don't have a huge brand presence in the market is, you know, being transparent, like, I mean, the whole web three, and this gets into up, upstanding the values of what, uh, it, it all means is, you know, being able to provide transparency into, what you're planning, um, where you're headed, uh, will help drive a massive amount of confidence. Like the whole, the whole reason, right. That, that, that blockchain was created was, you know, out of the 2008 financial crisis when they had all of these centralized entities doing a lot of shady stuff, right. That really, that tanked all the markets. Now all of a sudden taxpayers are billing out, uh, bailing out billion dollar companies because of lack of transparency and no one had idea what's going on. Um, so if you're looking to uh, to launch in this space, keeping some level of the values and ethos of why it's here is incredibly important. And I'm sure someone will listen to that and be like, you just said sacrifice values for adoption. But but like holding <laughs> some of those values is, is is important and transparency is one of those. So be able to provide a transparent roadmap of where you're headed. And it doesn't have to be until the end of time, but just enough that people will, will have confidence in it. Uh, you know, the other one too, is that like, I don't know, like, so especially up until now teams like, uh, or projects revealing who the founders were like, no one ever talked about that. Um, which if anyone listening hasn't heard the term doxing before, it basically means that you provide documentation on who the founders are. So if you're like, if you see in the headlines, team isn't doxed or something like that, a reference that just means that you don't know who the people are, they're just staying anonymous. And I think that that, that anonymity might be changing some too, just to help boost the accountability factor behind it. Uh, so if you are a brand and you are legitimately looking to do this, I don't see any reason why staying anonymous is a thing. Uh, and that is like two big ones, right? Is just, you know, being able to provide where you're going, what your goals are, uh, and then, you know, offering some level of credibility back to the community so that they have a sense of accountability in case things do go sideways. Mm -hmm. It's a good question, though. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> good. Um, when we're talking about, yeah, value, I guess, kind of going back to that, mm -hmm. um, how can brands focus on longevity when designing a product? So, I want to, again, point out that you did say if you can't come up with something for mm -hmm. 12 things in the next 12 months or whatever, then maybe don't do it. Mm -hmm. But how do they how do they focus on that and maybe even be beyond those 12 months? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And like what what typically makes this exercise difficult is that a lot of the brands that we or that I interact with um, are industry giants in their verticals, right? Like they've been, they've figured it out. They know how to do and they know how to market uh, and they know how to manufacture um, 
stuff really well. And, you know, in the physical world, as I said before, the big, the big difference in producing digital good versus physical goods is that when you create an NFT, no matter how many times it switches hands, no matter how many times it's like used, it's never going to degrade. It's not going to fade away and they're not going to come back to like buy a new one because the last one broke. Uh, so when you think about value, it's definitely a new muscle to work to think about, okay, I'm offering an asset that is going to evolve and change over time. Uh, that's never going to go away. And I need to continuously add value to it. And maybe saying like, add value to it isn't like the right way to phrase it. Because it's not like, it's not like taking uh, it's not like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a really not bad example. It's not, it's not like taking a car and like adding more Chrome to it to make it more like <laughs> valuable, right? It's, it's, it's okay, about, yeah. it, it's about you leveraging it as like an access point to enable new experiences. Um, and that in turn adds value. So when we think about how do we strategize over the next 12 months, it's really like, what are new experiences that we can offer to customers in the digital space. Uh, and, you know, if, I mean, every company is on the web now, so everyone has thought about new ways to engage in the digital space. Um, and that, like, this is no different, right? So it's just really taking that same philosophy and ideating, but saying like, we can, we can, we can, we can control or, or be able to help cater to or be more inclusive of these, of these customers that own these assets. Uh, and as we, as like, you know, always like, I don't always like saying like the metaverse, because I feel like a lot of people automatically go to like Mark Zuckerberg's little like cartoon land with goggles on. And they're like, Oh no, not that. But you know, when we, when we get to a point where let's say 51% of the world's population holds 51% of their net worth and digital assets, that to me is like when we make it to the metaverse, the metaverse is really just holding and having some level of your net net worth within digital assets. And as that, as that continues to increase the level of experiences and things that you can offer and new projects and new ideas, it's just going to keep growing. Uh, so when we think about 12 months out, you know, we, we usually are putting the first six months as very like concrete things. Um, and then the next six months is like very experimental um, getting a little bit, you know, increasingly, fun and you know interesting down the road so like your 12 your 12 month mm -hmm. plan might be you know to host a event in decentraland which is you mm -hmm. know it's far off but it's a great goal to have and if you say in 12 mm -hmm. months i want to do that in order to have a good attendance thing what we have to do is onboard a lot of users along the way so if we put together all of these little touch points for leading up to that then that's kind of like your your like you, you put a stake in the ground of where you want to be and that's how we usually go about thinking about it and it's it's like i said it's it's a new muscle to work but once you kind of start getting on it it gets it gets a lot of fun to think through mm -hmm. how can those touch points or increments be used to yeah how can they be used in the education process yeah it's because i mean so each one you learn from right uh, mm -hmm. each, each time you learn from the previous one. And a lot of web three is about iterating quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, a, a great, a great insight that I got from my friend, uh, Richard Walker, who's one of the principal, uh, uh, blockchain principals over at Deloitte. I was asking him around 
like how do you like how do organizations get ready for web3 and one of the one of the most insightful things he's he's told me is that it's and it's way less technical and it's more of like you have to as an organization build a culture that's fine with experimenting and potentially failing and when you talk you know again when we're talking about like very marquee brands that know like with a very high level of probability a new product, a new service or a new marketing campaign will hit with some, you know, they've got it down to a science. They like know exactly who's going to be there. And when you, when you start moving into web three, it's much more experimental. So making sure that you have a culture that's able to accept a level of that experimentation and like, maybe it doesn't go as well as we thought, or maybe it went better, um, is really important. So when we look at that 12 month plan, what we're saying is, is that like each month is a learning experience from the last one. So, using those as new as 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 touch points or checkpoints to alter how you're educating your customers is a great way to like tailor that message over time because again every brand every product is unique so how you target and how you convey that messaging uh, needs to be tailored to your customers um, and that's that's what makes that that roadmap and that 12 month and, and 12 uh, 12 touch point strategy so incredibly helpful Okay. Yeah. I think, sorry, maybe I wasn't quite clear. That's definitely important. Um, (laughs) Definitely a very important aspect. I guess I meant more the education of the new users. Mm. Um, Yeah. So that side of it, how can it be used to educate users and bring them in? Yeah. So that, uh, I'm not sure maybe I fully under, are you like asking for like, what are examples of how you educate them? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Is mm. there any way that you can see where those can be used in the education of new users? Uh, I see. I see. I see. Oh, wow. I really went off on a tangent on that last time. Didn't Sorry. I? Yeah. No, it's good. It was a good tangent. Still. <laughs> I was unclear to begin with. <laughs> okay. Corey turned right and I just did a hard left. Like, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So how you used to educate users? Um, yeah, so really like the roadmap that we see a lot of these brands taking is that like the first project that they'll do is what we call like a primary drop, right? So this is where the brand itself creates the capability in order to create a digital asset and then the avenues to sell it uh, to an end customer. Like that is touchpoint education zone number one. And when you do this, you basically are, are creating the first time that you're able to explain to your customers what digital assets are. And this can be done through a number of different ways. Um, you know, obviously like your traditional things of like having a website that explains where it is, you know, showing what your roadmap is, here's the value, um, videos, things like that, right. That that are all very like tangible tactical items that you Mm do. Um, after that initial drop is done, the next kind of like education touch point that we see coming next varies, but I'll tell you the one that I like the most. Um, and that's around being able to offer. So again, step one is primary sale, meaning that you as the producer create and sell directly to the consumer. Uh, touch point number two is offering peer to peer interactions. So a peer to peer marketplace where people are able to buy and sell back and forth and money, none of the, one another. And this one educates, a, a, it, it's like different points of the adoption circle that, and drawing in the air but doesn't really exist is that you know it's like first you need first you need to educate so that they understand there's value there right the next one too Mm -hmm. is let them um is is create value through collisions so creating value with like peer-to-peer so that can either be you know in gaming like you know back and forth playing with playing the game with one another or in marketplaces buying and selling back and forth 
um, challenges where being able to actually talk and obtain items from other users allows you to, you know, create new value within the space. Uh, so that really comes number two. Number three from there, um, education, you know, touch point is that, so how do you expand beyond NFTs, uh, right? And so that's a great foundation layer that's very like cognitively understanding for people. But then how do you, how do you move past that? Uh, and that might be through things like tokens, uh, which are a great way to expand, uh, you know, the, the community beyond just the NFT set itself. Like we saw that with like the ApeCoin uh, from the board apes, like, you know, they were just 10, I think it's like 10 K was just the NFT. And when you have a very inclusive community, it can like almost like smolder and like suffocate itself. And then by opening these tokens that allow for a level of governance, you basically are allowed to expand that community beyond while retaining the core value of the initial founders or like initial owners. Right. Um, so we do see companies moving in to offer these forms of like governance tokens that allow for that two way relationship between the, the, the customers and them. And then from there, it's really kind of open, right? So it's where you want to take your brand. But I, I will say that the whole goal of all of this, right, is that is that we're trying to set companies and companies need to be setting up now for five years from now um, and educating and building your customer base in the digital world is one of the most, the most important things any CEO, CTO, our business needs to be thinking about now. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen is that in five years, there will be some level of a sharp change that's going to happen. And those that didn't educate and didn't onboard their customer into this are going to die. Um, and we've seen it before. And, you know, the line always goes that, you know, companies go out of business slow and then very, very quickly. And that's usually because they didn't stay ahead of digital transformation, some innovation came out and then overnight everything switched and they were not ready for it. And that just wipes mm -hmm. them out. Like, you know, Redbox and Netflix, right? Physical versus the streaming. Everyone, you know, Redbox was like, that'll never work. You know, streaming's, you know, internet speeds are too slow. There's buffering. You won't get good quality. Next thing you know, fibers in every house and boom, you know, within a year gone. Yeah. Uh, and that's that from a company an education standpoint, you needed to be thinking about where your customer is going to be in five years and how you build that up now. Because uh, if not, give me a tough road. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Had to put Perfect. a little country um, twang on that to, to hit with my... Just kick it at the end there. Just yeah. kick it at the um, end. <laughs> um, can you maybe go through what you see as maybe some benefits of onboarding users incrementally and responsibly mm -hmm. rather than doing it all at once, go crazy, get a bunch of people in there. And then, yeah, yeah, that's, um, that is a great point that you make. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, is that the marketplaces that we've seen be most successful are ones that actually incrementally bring people on. Um, you know, when, when Top Shot came out, uh, you know, it was done incrementally. And I think that was an incredibly smart move uh, because what you do is that you're able to really learn and fix quickly because at the end of the day, like this is bleeding edge tech. Uh, this is, I mean, if you think about it in the scheme of things, like NFTs are only four years old, barely. Uh, and when you're launching anything new with any any shape or form, whether 
whatever it is that's that new, being able to pivot and alter and update quickly based on user feedback is so, so incredibly important. Uh, and as we as an entire industry and community are learning what works, um, offering out incremental onboarding allows you to really pivot and really like sharpen the pencil on exactly what your customer base is going to be looking for. Uh, and the projects that, you know, we've been a part of that didn't do that did not have as great of results. And it's because they basically were like, we're just going to build everything behind and then just turn it on and see what happens. Uh, and you know, that, that makes it a lot more difficult to get that feedback from, from your market. Okay. Yeah. Feedback and re yeah. Reorienting anything yeah. else. Yeah. I mean that too. And like, you know, it's like the whole, like it, it's really hard to like undo things that are on blockchain. Mm -hmm. So, sure. so if you yeah. launch and you're like, we're going to get a million users and it turns out that like something in your web three stack is messed up. And next thing you know, like things are going wrong. It's, very difficult to recover and any like it you know system admins that are listening to this that know how difficult it is to to change things in web 2 uh when they go wrong it's even more difficult in web 3 <laughs> so making sure you get it right the first time is very <laughs> very incredibly important okay good um any last thoughts or ideas on uh bringing new users to web 3 Anything we haven't touched on? Anything we haven't touched on. We talked about UX, talked about responsibility. Talked yeah. Talked about, yeah. <laughs> like I'm yeah, responsible. No, I agree. Yeah. Go ahead. Give me yeah. a recap of the being, episode. We talked about being responsible. <laughs> we talked about how to create value. We talked about education. Mm -hmm. we talked about the UX. I mean, I think that rounds out. That rounds out a good bit of it. You know what? Good. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Um, anything that you want to plug before we finish up here? Uh, let's see. I will be speaking. Um, I think the next one is NFT Expoverse. And I don't have the dates, so it really probably is a terrible plug, considering I have no information to give with it, but a conference out in L.A. Okay. Uh, soon, uh, uh, basically all, more on this topic around enterprises, Web3, how to do it. Uh, and I'm sure by then I will have more content and more learnings to get back. Perfect. Okay. Uh, any thoughts on who we should have on the VET next? Um, hmm. I do, actually. Uh, I have a friend uh, that we should get on. His name is Laszlo Mari. Uh, he is the founder of a firm called uh, Dakai, and they do a lot of, like, core um, – Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning Network. And they also came in and did a bunch of the fixing uh, to El Salvador's uh, Bitcoin network when they wanted to allow for um, crypto payments. So his team came in and helped them fix a lot of the previous errors the other company did. And he's an incredibly, incredibly intellig intelligent and insightful guy into the space. Awesome. Yeah, sounds great. I'll send you his contact info. Definitely. Cool. All right. Well, then, thank you so much for taking your time again to talk to me. <laughs> of course. And, uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah.